in every country. Trees, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and is brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. This is Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory with this month's podcast by Weston Brinkley. Mr. Brinkley is a Stewardship Engagement Coordinator with the Cascade Land Conservancy. This podcast features his talk on science programs for urban natural resource planning and management. It was originally presented at the 2012 ISA International Conference in Portland, Oregon. Thanks. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about our organization. Uh, it really works in the context of the research program we're describing, um, and I think it fits in well with what we're talking about here today. So for today, we were Cascade Land Conservancy. We were a traditional land conserv conserving organization, um, and this is where we operate. This is the central Puget Sound. You can see up at the top there is Mount Rainier. Uh, we're kind of looking south, uh, and you can see Seattle there on the right. Now, as a land conservancy, our goal was to conserve the natural areas here, about 1.3 million acres. Uh, but to do that, we realized that we couldn't just protect all that land on the outside, the exterior of the, your uh, red lines here, the growth boundaries. But we needed to provide a good alternative. If people weren't going to live and work out there, they needed another place to do those things. And therefore, we realized that cities had to be great places. Cities had to be livable. Cities had to be an amazing alternative. They had to be a pull factor, not just a push factor, to preserving land. And a big part of that... Um, thanks. A big part of that is the urban forest. Um, and urban forest is crucial to a vibrant, uh, livable urban area. And as we started to develop these types of programs, they found in a lot of different ways. In, in the Puget Sound, a big issue is uh, urban forest restoration. The urban forests are overrun with invasives. Um, based on their species and their age, they're, they're in serious condition, they're dying off. So urban forest restoration is a big thing we got into, partnering with municipalities around the region to uh, get this work done, largely through the use of volunteers. Research, that's the big one we're going to talk about today. Um, and it's crucial because what we're trying to do is something we don't really know how to do. Um, and there's a lot more to learn. There's a lot of great tools out there. And figuring out what we're going to apply, where and when, became really important. Finally, some community programming. So we do work with uh, cities in the region that uh, look not just at the urban forest in terms of parkland or natural areas, but instead in people's backyards, on streets, etc. So this research piece, this is you know, what, we, what we don't know. Um, how, do we, how do we get the urban forest to be amazing? How do we create a, a livable community? Um, that's something that you know, we don't have the knowledge for. Um, and that's something that we really needed to gain in order to make this work. So this is what happened, Green Cities Research Alliance. This is the slide right everyone gets to, usually at the beginning, and they say, okay, these folks helped out, and then they click through. It's boring, it's awfully ugly. 
It's the logo soup. Uh, but in the context of what we're talking about today, this is extremely important. This is the key to what we're doing. This is the idea. So about four years ago, uh, the U.S. Forest Service Pacific Northwest Research Station um, decided it needed to start looking at urban natural resources. This is something that happens in the northern station, southern, southwest station, southeast station. There isn't an urban program with the PNW station. So trying to figure out what to do. Four years ago, they, they started making a lot of uh, calls, started talking to people, having discussions. Uh, Kathy Wolf, I think, who spoke on Monday, was one of the scientists that was involved with this work. Um, and they talked to 40 different groups um, big players in the Pacific Northwest region, uh, and they were a range of folks. These weren't just scientists. This wasn't just the UW. Uh, it wasn't just Forest Service scientists. These were municipalities. There are organizations like ours, like Forterra. There are community groups. They were um, contractors and consultants. They're the people doing the work on the ground. They said, you know, what do we need to be doing research on? What, what do you need to know more about to get your job done, to, to accomplish your mission better? And from, from that grew kind of a set of principles and a set of partners who agreed that not only did they have something to gain from this, but they have um, something to contribute to it. And so uniquely, you look at this, and it's a research alliance, but it's not all research groups. It's not just scientists. It's not just arborists, either. It's not just municipalities. It's a range of folks um, across kind of the whole spectrum of everyone who's involved in the process of growing stewarding, maintaining, monitoring uh, an urban forest. So how's this all going to work? Range of folks, different roles. Um, there's scientific researchers, there's landowners, there's policymakers, there's the field crews, there's the, you know, the data folks, there's the volunteer managers, um, and everyone kind of plays a different role. And they're all crucial to making this happen. And what's really great about this is they're all at the table. Um, which doesn't happen much. There's this awkward faded picture in the background. You can see this is a couple of years ago, myself and others here in Portland at the Forest Service, sitting around a table with a bunch of cards trying to determine what our research goals are. Um, and it was not just the researchers doing that. It was a wide range of folks. So really quite interesting. Um, and though each player, each partner had a unique position, a unique role that they played, um, we used collaboration at each step of the research process. So uh, initially when we set out our needs, it wasn't just the uh, municipalities saying, okay, these are the needs, researchers go do it. It was a collaborative group assessing needs. When that was done, we went to methods. How are we going to carry this out? Again, it was a collaborative group that kind of laid out what are the research methods we should use. Uh, and that, that followed through with implementation. Uh, Lisa led a, a field crew of arborists uh, at the county um, in the city of Seattle, as well as on the Green Duwamish River Corridor. Uh, it's uh, a wide, really diverse group of, of folks. And this has continued through with data analysis done in collaboration, um, and most importantly, uh, data application implementation, programming, how we improve our practices. And finally, with report writing and information dissemination. So uh, that's kind of the, the structure that we've outlined to, to do this work. Um, what are we doing? So the Forest Service 
had nicely provided kind of these four key pieces as their uh, human dimensions element. Uh, ecosystem services, stewardship, community sustainability, um, and landscape, landscape assessment. And we said, yeah, it fits perfectly. We can, we can work within theirs. So, needs. Um, the first thing we did was determine what's the research we wanted to know. What, what are we trying to learn? And this isn't wholly new information. We can go back and look. This structure, we didn't invent this, right? This happens. Um, this type of thing, even. Uh, there's the Baltimore Ecosystem Study. Uh, it's a you know, cross-sector group collaborative to do research and Northern Research Station. Similar arrangement in Chicago Wilderness. Uh, this kind of work is happening. Um, tools are ex in existence. Strategies are in existence. Science is out there. There's great literature on the urban forest. You all know it. You've all seen it. You've used the tools. So given all that, what are our needs? We realize there is no urban program in the Forest Service in the Northwest. And the research done on the East Coast is great, but it's not wholly applicable to what we're trying to do. Uh, we have different species. We have different climate. We have different landscape. We have a different history. Different landscape, different history means we have different uh, land management units. We structure uh, how we manage land in a different way, um, who takes care of it and in what ways. Uh, and we have a different culture. We have uh, a different environmental ethic. We have policymakers who think differently. We have voters who think differently. We have community groups um, and citizens who interact with the natural environment in different ways. And so we have a different uh, volunteer base. We have a different support base. Um, and so we can use what we've learned elsewhere in the country, but there's a lot that we need to know specifically about the Northwest and in our initial study region, the central Puget Sound. Um, so given the, the rationale that we really want to look at the Northwest, what do we do? We, well, we say, there's great tools out there. Can they be applied to our region? Um, so the first thing we want to do, refine or develop tools, techniques, and systems that work specifically for our environment. Advanced urban forest knowledge. So this is, by definition, place-based specific. We don't know about our own urban forest unless we go look at it. Um, and then finally, an understanding of stewardship, an understanding of the people who are doing the work. Who are the organizations? Who are the contractors who are out there working? What are their techniques? Who are the volunteers? In our region, we've got an amazing volunteer corps that, that across organization, across municipalities, um, the citizens do a, a large amount of, of environmental work, environmental restoration, on-the-ground work. Um, that's pretty crazy. What do we know about that? How can we, how can we use that in restoration efforts? How can we use that in uh, explaining uh, environmental work in the urban forest more broadly, nationally? I'm going to go back to Lisa to talk about specifically some of these projects that we're, we're actually doing or have done. Thank you. I think your mic is picking up the air conditioning, by the way. <laughs> it's got a little breeze in there. Okay. And for my temperature, it feels like it's probably the air conditioning issue. So I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about, um, kind of give some examples that we uh, were able to accomplish um, in order to meet those needs that Weston identified. So the first piece is the tool refinement piece. 
Um, and I'm going to use the example of triage. Has anybody ever heard of triage? Yay. So triage was um, uh, primarily developed by staff at the um, Seattle Parks Department. Is Mark Mead in the room anymore? He was a major contributor. Um, and what you get with triage is really simple um, look at the quality of the forest. Um, on one axis is the tree composition and specifically canopy cover. Uh, and then the other uh, axis is invasive species cover. So um, hot pink means very bad quality. Um, darkest green means the best. And so what that gives us when we've actually gone out and mapped um, our forested parklands uh, is a very quick, easy tool to use with our partners in saying very bad needs a lot more money. Very good needs attention so that we can keep it very good. Um, and so... We wanted to be able to kind of adapt this tool for use in King County. So uh, King County Parklands, probably similar to a lot of county parks in the West, um, a lot of land adjacent to new uh, suburb suburban development, um, a lot of land that was transferred from timber companies. And so in total, they have about 26,000 acres that they're managing. So that calls for rapid assessment, which triage has great for, but it also calls for a little bit more detail. So what we wanted to do is really um, kind of push it a little bit further and be able to collect a little bit more information with that. Um, each park is broken down into polygons, like this map shows. Um, this is Maury Island on, uh, or yeah, Maury Island, adjacent to Vashon Island in the Puget Sound. And so similar um, force composition is lumped together, um, and each of these different polygons are visited, um, and ocular estimates are made. So no measurements are taken, but a very rapid um, uh, walkthrough of the area is completed. I went out with the field crew last year at one point, um, and it was more like a run-through. I was, like, dodging branches the whole time. It was very, very fast. Um, so, so the refinement piece of it is that there was additional uh, attributes that were added on to that rapid assessment that would provide the kind of detail that um, a county park system or a larger land manager would want to see um, to be able to make some management recommendations. So um, the other piece of this refinement is that uh, it allowed us to really update and create a, a manual um, and to uh, work with county staff to to get them trained up on the assessment protocols as well. So um, the kind of advancing the tool meant also advancing the staff that were involved in that. Um, and already we've seen implementation elsewhere in the in the Puget Sound region, uh, where local municipalities are seeing that need uh, for rapid assessment and able to apply it. So the, the next thing that uh, Weston mentioned was the, the ability to improve programs through our research. Um, and so uh, just for some context, he mentioned that we had a pretty substantial uh, volunteer um, programming in the, in the Northwest. For Terra alone, uh, we partner or coordinate over 1,000 volunteer events in a year. Uh, so that's about 10,000 individuals and somewhere around 100,000 uh, volunteer hours in a given year. So there are a lot of people that we're engaging in uh, forested parkland restoration in our region. And so being able to make appropriate marketing materials and really develop the program further so that it's um, kind of the highest quality is really important. 
really uh, emphasizing retention and um, further recruitment. Uh, and we can do this by understanding people's motivations very simply, um, kind of looking at their skills and abilities, what they're bringing, as well as um, what they want to get out of the work that they're doing. So what this meant was within the Research Alliance, um, a survey was developed um, and kind of vetted with our partners um, and with scientists who could really look at, you know, what the information is going to show and how it's going to add to a larger um, body of scientific knowledge. Um, and then went out and surveyed 500-plus uh, volunteers in the field while they were doing restoration work. And this is an example picture of one of our coworkers, Andrea, uh, leading a volunteer event in Seattle in one of the green space. So, and then the final piece, um, that really, that idea of increasing knowledge, um, it's kind of a hard one to get at because, you know, everything that you guys are doing, everything that we do is um, increasing knowledge. Um, but I'm going to use the example of the iTree Eco project um, that I coordinated. So, um, iTree Eco is well, well known, especially among this group, um, but hasn't been implemented that much in Western Washington um, and the Northwest in general. So we wanted to kind of explore what it meant to do that. Um, the best and easiest way to do that is just to to set out to implement a project. Um, to and I think what that offers is really a very close look at its applicability in the Northwest from what it takes to put together a crew to get everybody out in the field to collect that data to actually transferring it into uh, a report that means something to the um, the practitioners and the policymakers. Um, so we carried that work out in three different three different scales: um, City of Seattle, uh, in King County Parks, and the Green Duwamish River corridor, which is kind of similar to the Willamette in that there's a very urban to wildland gradient with it. Uh, I think one of the key components that we really picked up on um, is both the need and the complexity of working on private property. Um, City of Seattle is similar to a lot of places that you've heard about over the last couple of days uh, where we have significant private property. Um, and so it's a huge opportunity to kind of build um, materials that other people can use to go out and do private property assessment work and to actually gain that access is probably the main key point of that. And then the other part of that is that we did some expanded analysis, um, something that you don't get uh, out of the, the canned report that comes from iTree, um, and stuff that was really specific to our partners um, that they needed in order to kind of move forward with applying that data in our region. So just some really quick highlights. Uh, King County Parks, this is... The rapid assessment allowed for their first ever, ever uh, comprehensive look at their species composition. And one of the things that became very readily clear, um, you know, that anybody who works in the parks would be able to tell you, but for policymakers and people making decisions on funding um, didn't know, is that there's a high dominance of uh, deciduous trees like uh, big leaf maple and red alder, and that they're at the a stage in their lifespan where without some active management and restoration, uh, really going to start seeing a decline in canopy. And so being able to say that with numbers has been uh, very important for that work. Um, again, with the iTree uh, project in Seattle, the opportunity to, to actually be standing in somebody's backyard um, 
And to do that, we did 73 plots alone just on um, single-family residential property, so um, private property like commercial as well as multifamily to get out there and be capturing information on the species um, and condition of those trees um, is pretty important and has had a big influence on the way that the city is able to look at, at um, that urban forest resource. And then the final piece, um, just as one piece of many things that we were able to learn from the um, from the survey, uh, the it turns out that social factors like meeting your neighbors and spending time uh, with people in your community is actually more in, important than um, you know people's traditional environmental concerns for bringing them out to urban forest restoration projects. And so, just pieces, those kind of pieces are really um, informing our efforts to reach out to people and involve more people in restoration in the Seattle area. So again, uh, King County uh, is now moving this kind of data into their management plans. Same with the city of Seattle. Uh, they're updating, they're on a five-year cycle for updating the urban forest management plan, so the I-Tree data is being directly incorporated into that update. And then... Um, both the Green Seattle Partnership, which is the partnership between Forterra, the city, and other nonprofits, um, is directly uh, applying some of the information that we gathered from the surveys to increase uh, volunteer retention and, and make uh, recruitment more effective. So back to Weston. So beyond just um, application of these, uh, this research in programming and so forth, uh, we have a real opportunity to uh, spread the word and kind of show more broadly what is the state of the urban forest in the Northwest to kind of share the information um, out there. And uh, I think because of the collaboration, we have some really unique opportunities. Uh, presented here is a report that's just going to get printed next week, I think, that Lisa wrote on, on Seattle's urban forest. Um, it's really great. It um, is accessible. It's a public report. It's got great pictures. Um, typically not the type of thing the Forest Service would put out. However, um, we would never have been able to do it without the Forest Service. So uh, I think it's, it's a really good example. Um, we're getting public reports. Reports like this will be done for all the research projects we've talked about today as well as others, a um, variety of forms. You know, maybe uh, short one-pagers, longer 20-page reports, a little more information. Um, and we have a lot of flexibility and nimbleness um, as a nonprofit, as a collaborative, to kind of do these pieces that uh, meet the needs of, of different audiences. Uh, tool refinement. Lisa talked a little bit about this. Um, and what this is doing is now going directly into manuals. So Rapid Assessment in King County has a new manual for how it's done. Um, and so that's a publication that we're putting out there and, and can be used more broadly, and it's, it's really exciting. Uh, again, Forest Service uh, publications, really important, GTRs, research notes. Uh, without this opportunity, these are the types of things that we wouldn't be able to be writing. Um, unlikely that, you know, this that work I would do would get to be in, in a Forest Service publication. So a uh, really great opportunity to express um, this type of research more broadly. Uh, and finally, I think really importantly is, is data availability. Um, we have a lot of new data sets that we didn't have before. And we can write reports and push them out there, and maybe someone reads them, maybe someone doesn't. Um, but we have data, and we have the ability to work with folks 
on the ground to make sure that data is used. So for instance, I can sit down with um, City of Seattle and their volunteer folks and I can explain to them, look, we did all this survey of your volunteers and it turns out that, um, you know, whether they're in, what, regardless of their income or their education or um, any of those types of factors, uh, they're going to have, uh, it won't have any impact on their, on their volunteer experience. Or I can say that, like Lisa pointed out, that, you know, neighborhood is actually one of the key factors in getting people to come out here and volunteer. They're not concerned about climate change. Apparently, what they're concerned about is improving their, their local neighborhood. Um, and being able to have those, those conversations like we have and will hopefully get to continue has really been a good way to uh, spread the value of this work and to, get, and to get the data out there. Takeaways. So we're five minutes from being done with the conference. <laughs> if you're lucky, two minutes, three minutes, right? <laughs> Um, I don't really have anything super grand to, to end on. I kind of wish I did with the big ending. Uh, but, you know, we're all here this week to advance our skills, learn more, improve our programming. Uh, and that's what we sought out to do with this. That's what the Forest Service sought out to do when they created the Green Cities Research Alliance. When the Forest Service went out and got funding, we got... Um, American Recovery and Reinvestment Funding to, to make this happen, to get it off the ground. Um, and the key was to advance efforts in programming. Um, like I mentioned earlier, for Forterra, for us, we realized that we couldn't advance our programming until we knew more. So uh, to advance what we did, we had to do research. And we couldn't just go read a journal article or go talk to someone. We had to get something that applied specifically to what we were doing. Um, and we realized that that's not something we can do very well ourselves, so we needed some collaboration. And I think that's the, the third kind of key step to uh, creating what we were able to gain out of this. And that's through working um, in a collaborative group where, um, you know, as I said before, we could have done this work, it wouldn't have turned out that well. Researchers could have done it, but um, it wouldn't have had a lot of applicability, perhaps, to on-the-ground programming. But getting everyone together and talking about it um, ensures that it's going to have the most value. Uh, it's going to be using the best data, um, and hopefully, will be you know the best product. So, uh, for applied research, this is kind of what we we took out of this this experience. Um, again, I want to thank the Forest Service. I don't think I did initially for the um, kickoff funding for this, um, and maybe we have time for a question, or you can check out the Research Alliance webpage. We have time for questions. Excellent. Um, or you can look us up on the Forter webpage. We're horribly buried within our massive organization. Or please contact us. Come talk to us. Questions? Clapping? This concludes Weston Brinkley's talk on a science program for urban natural resource planning and management. If you would like to learn more about urban planning, you can find additional materials at the ISA web store, including Planning the Urban Forest by James Schwab. If you would like to receive CEUs for listening to this lecture, please visit the ISA online store and select Online CEU Quizzes. If you have recommendations for topics to cover in future podcasts, please contact the ISA at elearning 
at isa-arbor.com. Thank you for listening to this episode, which is brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.